Hey, what's good, jazz fans? Welcome to Jabber Jazz, your home for ad-free, fan-driven Utah jazz basketball talk with an analytical emphasis every week. I'm your host, Adam Bushman. You can find me on Twitter at Adam underscore Bushman. And today we have an awesome topic, a real interesting question to really dive into and dig through. And that is, did the Jazz choose the right direction this past offseason? Okay, and to help me answer that question and to get into all the details of it, I have Ken Clayton here with me. He's a contributor for Salt City Hoops. He's a CBA and salary cap guru. He's got all the spreadsheets. And he even tracks the Utah Jazz flights when they're on the road. Ken, am I missing anything? That pretty much covers the things I'm probably most known (laughs) for. Well, you're a fantastic Twitter follower. As you can see in the background here, we're on we're on YouTube. Ken is a big jazz fan, a staple in the, in the Twitter community, and I'm so happy to have you on, Ken. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks. So if you like what we're doing, please, uh, we'd really appreciate it if you'd consider subscribing to the podcast on whatever podcast you use, or if you're here on YouTube, we'd, we'd love for you to like the, like the video, subscribe to the channel, uh, leave us a comment or a view, that helps uh, things a lot as well. And without further ado, let's jabber jazz. Okay, so our big question is, did the Jazz choose the right direction this offseason? And the start of this season, Ken, has kind of prompted a lot of questions surrounding the Jazz. Uh, I think even the most optimistic of us, uh, not myself, I I will admit I was was pessimistic for a handful of reasons on on the Jazz um, to start the year. I think we all knew the Jazz had some talent, but even the most most bullish, I think, uh, uh, far underestimated what this squad was capable of. And so a lot of questions kind of permeate around around this team. And uh, and so we're going to kind of consider what kind of the directions the Jazz could have gone th- this offseason. Uh, anything you want, want to say about, I guess, the surprise the Jazz have had, the questions this, this season has kind of prompted thus far before we get into exact scenarios? No, I just would say add me to the people, you know, include me on the list of people who have been surprised. It's been, uh, you know, the first 10 games I, I kept thinking, well, this is just that startup period, the honeymoon phase. Things are gonna, the hammer's gonna drop eventually, and uh, you know we had the three-game losing streak, so it was a little hammer that dropped. But they still look like they're matching up with teams pretty well that we and the types of teams that we didn't think they would match up with. Yeah, it's been extremely road-heavy thus far. Yeah. Uh, a lot of back-to-backs. Uh, they've played a lot of really good teams. And for a, a squad that was really only returning three rotation guys in Conley, Gang, Clarkson, who were really only returning two coaching staff uh, people um, to the team, introducing a new head coach uh, and trading off your, your, your main ecosystem guys over the offseason, I think you know it was reasonable to expect that, that hey, with all this confluence of events, would be a, be a recipe for a sluggish start, and it's been anything but uh, a really really fun season to yeah. to start. But let's uh, let's rewind a little bit to the off season. Um, so we're going to consider four scenarios. There's infinite directions or permutations of where the Jazz could have gone in the off season, but we're going to kind of concentrate on four of the main ones. One being the direction they actually took. Right, we we've, we've seen this the squad for 19 games thus far. Um, you guys are going to be seeing this after Thanksgiving. We're sneaking in a recording here uh, pre-Thanksgiving. But we've seen the Jazz for, you know, uh, a little over 25% of the of the season. And so that is one scenario we're considering. And then there are three others that we're going to, to consider as well. And we're going to operate off a couple assumptions. And I'm just going to refresh Ken on these assumptions here quick. The first is that, hey, even though the Jazz executed a transition to to the current squad uh, whatever the jazz did it was going to be a transition of some sort um, so we're going to operate on the assumption that the jazz still hire will hardy uh, i think quinn was going to leave no matter what um, and and i, I think we get, we're safe to assume that uh, we're going to assume that uh, the jazz still trade royce o'neill that was a flexibility move if nothing else mm-hmm. uh, the jazz you know, they, they were a little strapped with what they had asset-wise, 
and 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 they needed to shake something up so we're going to assume that still happened we're also going to assume that the free agents the jazz didn't bring back daniel house uh juancho Hernan gomez eric pascal they weren't shoo-in returning players so for this exercise we're not going to assume they came back but had the jazz prioritized it hey maybe one of them comes back but we're, we're not going to assume that any uh, returned uh, fully and, and we're going to operate with full hindsight in our analysis. Uh, we're going to retain that in our back pocket. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the first scenario. And it's really just that the Jazz stay the course. So I'm going to prep this scenario quick here. Um, our nine-man rotation kind of looks like the starters of Conley Mitchell. Some question mark there at the forward spot. Bogdanovich, then Gobert. And then your next four are Jordan Clarkson, Rudy Gay, and then someone, someone. Um, And and I I think, you know, we can kind of assume that whatever starter that was, it was probably someone on an exception, uh, a tax exemption or biannual or something like that, uh, whatever the Jazz had available. And then the people on the bench would have been just minimum guys. Um, and so you can kind of see on the screen here that the Jazz, you know, would have had, you know, approximately six unprotected picks if we assume that the Oklahoma City one conveys at some point. Um, they had the protected pick they got from Royce O'Neal, uh, median age of 29 years old uh, for the 23-24 season. They had eight guaranteed roster spots, taking up about 91% of the cap. So that's kind of the scenario we got with kind of just staying the course and, and really not shaking things up too much. Uh, Ken, with the assumptions we laid out and this kind of a scenario, you know, how do you evaluate this team? What, what would have they been capable offensively and defensively? Well, I think defensively is the easiest answer because as long as you have Rudy Gobert there, you're probably, you, you probably assume you can do as well as you've done the last few years. Losing Royce O'Neal, some people would look at that and say, oh, you're hurting yourself. I'm not as big a fan of the defender Royce O'Neal was just last year. You know, early yeah, on yeah. in his career, a little better, but not as much not as much uh, last year. Uh, your bench looks a little thin because we don't know who those two other guys are, and you're including Rudy Gay, who lost his position in the rotation last year. But... The one reason why I've, I have now, with the hindsight you mentioned, become more yeah. bullish on this on this rotation is Will Hardy. We yeah. we've seen Will Hardy and what he's done with kind of this ragtag group of players that was brought together by via three or four trades, and you wonder what could he have done with that group. Um, we'll never know, but that's the thing. That's the one reason I can look now at that group and say, what would Will Hardy have done with? Conley, Mitchell, Bogey, Gobert, Clarkson, and whoever else. And I deliberately left gay in the in the whoever else category. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I definitely do feel like the Jazz still try to play that shell a little bit. They keep Rudy at the at the rim, um, and they do try to run people off the three point line. They probably, I think Hardy would probably you know that fresh blood you know his approach. He probably gets people at least in the early going to uh, lean into the chaos a little bit more, get hands on balls, that, that type of thing. Uh, I think with the conditioning and, and stuff that he stressed in training camp, he, he probably is able to get people to stay in front of their man a bit, a bit better than we saw last year's squad do. Uh, but on the whole, I, I think it's more or less th- the same. You know, you, you had a, a tried and true offensive recipe, spread, pick and roll, mm-hmm. you know, with, with the shooters and Gobert diving at the rim. You know, that's been the best offense that the league has had during this Conley, Bogdanovich, Mitchell, Gobert era. And then some subtle tweaks uh, defensively. But Kent, you know, one thing that we've said about this current jazz team that we have right now is just how yeah. fun a brand of basketball it is and how... I don't know, charismatic and engaging all the players are and how they're rallying around, uh, you know, this, I guess, the style that Hardy has brought. How fun is this group if we were really just kind of staying the course and we had, you know, this group and, and we're really just bringing in Hardy to kind of shake things up? How fun are they? I don't think they're as fun because I think the expectations remain pretty high. And yeah, I yeah. think and I think part of the problems that the 
locker room had over the last year, particularly coming off the best record in the league and the loss in the Clipper series was the weight of those expectations made the game much less fun for them internally. Not even talking about the fans. The fans will yeah. get the fans will get jazzed if the wins come, but the jazz themselves were not jazzed and I think it was that the weight of being the t- having that top record, bringing back the team, you know, running it back for the th- third year for that group, the fifth year for a Donovan and Rudy combination. Um I think the weight of that really got to them. And, and I don't think they hated each other. I think most of that was overplayed. But I think the weight of that got to them and made the game less fun. And that hurt them as far as success as well. Yeah, totally. You, you mentioned, you know, didn't like each other. And some things like that was probably overblown. You're probably right. Uh, what has been kind of reported was kind of happening towards the end of the season. Probably not any one person's fault. More just probably kind of victim of circumstance in a way that that there was a level of toxicity that was kind of happening uh you know i think joe ingles has commented it you know post his trade rudy rudy gay and mike conley kind of talked about how much weight everybody was carrying around you know during the uh the media day interviews and i don't know that hardy i think probably immediately there's that that jolt that gets everybody, you know, going. But, you know, once you, you know, perform poorly in a national TV game and everybody's just ragging on you, um, you know, or, or, you know, once, you know, one tiff, you know, happens between the superstars and all the rumors start flooding in, I don't know that Hardy himself really addresses, you know, the underlying things that were kind of festering for the team in a way. Yeah, he doesn't make the media quit asking those questions. Even if, you know, even if the things appear better, every time right. any, every time there's a, every time there's a game where Donovan misses Rudy on a on an alley oop or you know doesn't pick the pass at all, those questions still come up in the in the media session. Yeah, yeah, precisely. What's kind of the immediate ceiling of this group, uh, in in a way like, hey, we're not kind of thinking long term here, but just like, hey, you mentioned it, the expectations were, hey. You know, we, we just lost in the first round. We had been to the second round the previous year and lost in disappointing fashion. Expectations are we get back to that second round and really push the envelope to, to get to the conference finals. That was where the expectations, but was that the ceiling of this group? It's hard to say now because it sure seems like it was now. But, I, but for, for a year or a year and a half, I really thought the ceiling was higher. And I'm not, yeah. and I'm not sure now. They they say you can never. It's hard to convince. It's hard to ever admit you were wrong or or change your mind because you have to admit you were wrong before. And and uh, I I think I I think you know if lightning had stayed in the bottle just a little bit longer, if if the leg sweep hadn't happened against the Pacers, that yeah. those sorts of little butterfly flaps along the way maybe maybe this team did have a much higher ceiling than even just getting to the conference finals. But uh, the leg sweep did happen. Donovan was out for ages, longer than it seemed like he should have been. Conley then got hurt. And after that, it was just, it felt like it was, uh, I mean, in retrospect, it feels inevitable that they, that they, that Terrence Mann was just going to blow him out of the water from the corner. Yeah. Yeah, kind of putting in maybe uh, Zach Lowe's terms, he talked about his championship inner circle, this group of six teams that he's like, hey, I trust these, trust these teams to be in play come the end of the season, you know, for for a championship. I, I think the Jazz with this squad probably would have been just outside of that, you know, and, and I really think it probably just stems from that after you know so many, you know, I guess. Missed expectations and calling falling short. I don't think anybody would have really trusted this group, even with Hardy in there, even with tweaks around the yeah. edges. And there's probably an argument, and, and we saw it last year, that hey, certain certain games may have even, you know, had them telling themselves a story. Ah, maybe maybe we can't do it. Maybe they didn't even believe in themselves. Yeah. You know when when you know they started getting the, that pushback in a way. Yeah. Um. How optimistic uh, would we have been for the future of this team? You know, we talked about the median age. We talked about how many people would have been on the roster in two years, how much of the cap was allocated, how many picks, you know, we kind of had. 
what would have been your optimistic level for you know long term future in a way? Oh, I think long term future would have been would have been pretty bearish. Um, with with so few pick assets, you, you've got it there the six unprotected and then the one from the Brooklyn Philly Houston the worst of those three. That would have been you know the war chest wouldn't have changed much. Having that one extra pick might have helped come the deadline, uh, but they still couldn't have traded their own pick unless they right. went way out into the future. So I don't think a lot of help would have been coming. You would have been, you know, crossing your fingers with Mike Conley. It's an ironic time to say that because in the real timeline, Mike Conley's out right. is out right yep. now. Um, yep. You would have been relying on Bogdanovich staying healthy, which generally he has been. And then you're relying on production from the guy you don't know who it is, probably a taxpayer mid-level exception guy, Jordan Clarkson staying, and then still you got to re- replenish that bench, whether you bring back one or two of those you know, Pascal, Hernan Gomez, whoever, and then you're filling in some minimum guys around them. So I don't know that the future looked terribly bright for that group beyond one or maybe two more years with a hardy run with that group. Yeah, I I would totally agree. You know, we would have essentially been in more or less the situation that the Los Angeles Lakers find themselves right now, except that we would have had a much better team, Mm -hmm. but our draft assets that you know would have really brought back a a big impact return would have been far out in the future and you know with the Los Angeles Lakers you can make the case of oh hey you have arguably the best players ever lived and you've got another you know worst case scenario probably top 20 mm-hmm. 25 player in Anthony Davis you know you move those picks and get something you know solid then hey maybe you're right back into that uh, you know that that tier I don't know that you can really say the same for the Jazz. I mean, yeah, we had probably two top twenty-five players, you know, but but the the ceiling was, especially since the Lakers, you know, uh, two years ago secured that championship, and and the Jazz, you know, kind of flamed out in a way. So yeah, I, I don't think the future would, was was bright at all. Uh, any last things you want to say on this scenario? No, just uh, just right riffing exactly off what you just said. The only way it looked f- good in the future was when you pulled the plug and did exactly what they already did. Yeah. So, so, but, but as far as a, a really positive looking future with Rudy and Donovan still on the team, it, I don't think so. So the second scenario we want to consider is that the Jazz make the Rudy trade but they don't make the Donovan and Bojan trades in a way. And so kind of what you have in this in this second scenario is that you have as starters, you have Conley, Mitchell, Bogdanovich. We do get Vanderbilt from the Rudy trade. And then you've got a question mark there at center, uh, starting center, I should say, because the next four, your, your, your four players off the bench are Clarkson. We do get Malik Beasley from that trade, Rudy Gay, and then we also get Walker Kessler. So that's kind of the rotation as it stands for this kind of a scenario. Uh, We've got some unprotected picks, nine, assuming that OKC one uh, conveys. We've got two protected picks, that extra one in 2029, top five protected that's coming from Minnesota. Uh, Median age drops quite a bit because, you know, no more Rudy. So now you're at 27 median age. Uh, fewer roster spots guaranteed for the 23-24 season and a much lower percent of the cap, approximately 59% of the cap, uh, uh, salary cap you have allocated and guaranteed contracts in that year. So now let's cycle back through some of the similar questions. Uh, but with a big trade in Rudy, how does this team play offensively and defensively is a is a much bigger you know, question and thought exercise. What are you kind of feeling as you look at this group? This group never did much for me because, I mean, this was, let me think. Yeah, this was an actual group that we were thinking about in real time because yeah, because Rudy, yeah. Rudy went first and we still had all these guys. Um, I was always very concerned because how are you, you know, who are you going to get to plug in for for Rudy Gobert, or if you want to say that today Jared Vanderbilt is nominally a starting center, then who are you going to get to be that the 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 four? When all you have to go do it is the taxpayer mid level exception, they might have been able to squeeze out the the a larger portion of the mid level exception, but I'm not sure they could have. 
So, you know, where are you getting something? So then you've got to hope that everything you're going to do to improve is going to be schematic and is going to be motivation. Now, again, you've got Will Hardy in your back pocket because you already hired him. So there's probably some optimism there that I didn't know at the time. At the time, I felt like this was going to be a, a rough year, even with Donovan. I felt like it was going to be a little bit of a, you know, he was he would feel like it was a wasted year for him because they'd be mired in kind of that 30s and 40s win area. And I, I don't know that my opinion has changed a whole lot, even to this point. Yeah, yeah, I totally hear you. Uh, this was an intriguing group for me because... Um, I saw Beasley uh, mm-hmm. with how prolific a shooter he was. I, I kind of saw him as as a potential long-term fit with Donovan Mitchell uh, in the uh, two starting guard spots. Um, you know, you put the hand in the ball in, in Donovan Mitchell's hand as the point guard with you know such a dynamic shooter and, and someone who's active defensively. Not not saying he's anything special, but he's yeah. active. Um, you know, I thought that was really intriguing, but that big hole in the center spot, it, it really kind of, de- how you play on offense and defense really is kind of predicated on who you get there. If you yeah. get kind of a rim protecting center, who can't really shoot. Well then, Hey, that affects a ton of spacing concerns with, you know, Jared Vanderbilt. I know he's hit a couple threes this year, but you know, he's, he's not affecting spacing or gravity. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's something that Donovan would really require. Um, but then if you get kind of like a, a Kelly Olenek type, you know, who can shoot from the three and then you're probably doing some pick and pops, you know, maybe you're relying on, on some passing. And so maybe it works. Um, but ultimately uh, I, I think they do probably try to lean into that chaos defensively. In, in a way, but but still, you're lacking some personnel to do it. I mean, we can see just how how vital Larry Markkinen is to that chaos yeah. uh, as a secondary rim protector. You know, those long arms. He's been very very quick on his feet on out on the perimeter. You don't have him in this scenario, and so really, I think it's kind of like the worst of all worlds in a way mm-hmm. defensively. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I just think having that huge huge question mark. Where are you going to fill a top a top fifteen to twenty somewhere in that range player in the NBA? Uh, it was it was going to be tough, and you and and the just you know apologies to the guys we got in the Rudy Gobert trade, but the best of the guys we got came in that other trade that wouldn't have happened in this scenario, and I think it just would have left the cupboard a little too bare. Out of these four scenarios, I think this is probably my fourth place finish. Um, Yeah, so how fun is this group in a way? Because, you know, uh, I think you still get a lot of Malik Beasley's, you know, incredible three-point shooting. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt, you know, being that uh, that Energizer Bunny type, you know, creating chaos and, and things. Um, so how fun is this group, though? Because you, you are you are missing Laurie Markkinen. Um, you don't have Sexton and... And some of these other pieces that we're enjoying this season, how fun does this group really, really become? I think it's pretty fun. I mean, just from a you know fan in the stands, because you're still going to have these guards and the shooters. But I think that's where I didn't see this group because the other piece that we don't have on the graphic is uh, Taylor Horton Tucker, because presumably they they might have still flipped Beasley for him or uh, Beverly for him, although maybe not. Sure. Um, I, I I would kind of just posit that they would have only because he was another small guard. And I know THT is a guard, but he's also a guard who's really long and he can, in a pinch, play forward better than Patrick Beverly can. So, you know, if they would have done that, you still got some guys flying around. You've got some you've got shooters for days and Conley, Mitchell, Bogey, Beasley, Clarkson, not so much THT. So you, you got some fun, but I don't think the fun translates as much to wins in this scenario. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Uh, especially, you know, if you're really just using an exception for that center spot, mm-hmm. I really, I just don't think you get someone who spaces in the way that this heavy a guard-laden roster would need 
to take advantage of how much shooting we have and, and to be able to leverage Donovan in the best way, getting downhill out of the pick and roll and getting to the hoop. If you don't have a Kelly Olynyk in there or, or, or that type who can, who can, yeah, I guess, make it so that there's more than enough gravity, even with Jared Butler on the floor, you know, I, I think that they're good, but, uh, but ultimately the ceilings, uh, you know, far too low for what uh what we would have wanted um and ultimately as you mentioned you know wins are what ultimately makes it fun because as awesome as highlights are in the moment you know when the final score is showing your team in the loss column you know that's that's where the oh that wasn't really that fun kind of stings right uh what's kind of like um i guess the the immediate ceiling and, and contender window for this team I think this team, to me, looks like a play-in team. Uh, mm. And maybe they get in the bottom, the 7 and 8. Um, although, I say that thinking about it, how I thought about the world in the offseason, where I thought Golden State was still good. And I thought yeah. to some of these teams... I mean, that's the crazy thing about this NBA season, even 20 games in, is we still really don't know the... take. Even if you take the Jazz out, we don't know the landscape of the rest of the West. Because the teams that... I would have penciled in Golden State as a top four, probably. And, oh, yeah. And right now they're, I don't have it up, but they're, you know, I think they're playing at best, maybe even outside the play-in right now. And, and just beyond that, just not looking really good. So you got Golden State. You got So, I mean, at that point, I would have said they were a play-in team and maybe they sneak in and face the, face the one seed or the two seed. Now that we know that Golden State's not as powerful and, and some of these other teams aren't playing as well, maybe you'd revise that. But as far as what I would have thought in the offseason, I would have seen this as maybe a play-in team and not had a lot of hope beyond getting into the first round. And that's probably about it. Yeah, I assume that... Uh... I assume that the Jazz would probably make it to the first round series and be somewhat competitive, you know, losing a 4-1, 4-2 fashion. Um, mostly, I kind of thought that, uh, you know, the bench depth was pretty good. Yeah. Um, and, and we've seen how, you know, vital the bench has been this year. You know, our, our starting lineup has really only been about league average, and it's really been the bench unit that's, uh, you know, been been really running opposing benches off off the floor. Uh, and, and this bench is pretty, pretty strong. You know, you, you've got Kessler who, you know, does a ton of, you know, tremendous high value things each night. And, um, and you've got enough scoring and shooting around there. And, you know, if you're Will Hardy and empowering this group, hey, maybe that, that does enough for you to carry you throughout a regular season. But ultimately, the buck's going to stop there because that's not a winning formula. A super strong bench and a, and a weak, you know, oh, yeah. Oh, whole laden starting unit right. that's that's a recipe for disaster when you're facing what would likely be a, a denver a dallas a golden state in your first round series i mean this group would have just you know gotten picked apart right right i i absolutely think so so this one is also interesting because you know you do get those three unprotected one protected pick from minnesota uh, you got kessler uh, you have vanderbilt and so you know they're uh oh you know you also have beverly or if you do the the tht trade then you got Taylor horton tucker so uh you've got some kind of middle tier salaries mm -hmm. uh, you've got a young guy and you've got these picks and so you know, there, there is there is this idea about, you know, how how are you optimistic for the future? What would you have been thinking if, if the Jazz rolled this roster through? What would you have been thinking for the future? Well, in the immediate future, when this happened, I thought that they could maybe use some of those assets to bring in another star next to Donovan. And I think they did try that for a short period of time and didn't find much luck there. That said, that was looking to find lightning in the bottle that day. But going, yeah. but looking into the future, I think they would have had opportunities, much greater opportunities to use the extra four picks and some more tradable pieces and contracts. Uh, you know, going forward, you'd think that they would have had more flexibility. You know, going into the trade deadline next off season and then beyond, that they wouldn't have had in in uh, option one. 
Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I mean, given given you know these assets that you have, and, and you you know you try it out for you know the start of the season, and as the trade market develops, and we've seen it, you know, in real time. Now, if we kind of you know take off the past goggles and yeah. we look. You know, John Collins is being talked about, and Jazz reportedly have interest. Read into that how you will. Uh, but the the idea being that, hey, you probably could have, you know, taken advantage of, of you know, some of what was out there. You bring into John Collins, hey, that, that uh, you know, suddenly makes you not so guard-heavy and distributes, you know, the offensive load throughout the roster. Uh, maybe you make uh, Indiana an offer they can't refuse for a Miles Turner, for example, mm -hmm. and you extend him. All of a sudden, he's locked up for four years, young enough to, you know, yeah. uh, bridge this timeline with Donovan Mitchell. So I would have been reasonably optimistic that we had options, that we got younger, um, but, but it wasn't for certain, and, and ultimately this season would have been disappointing relative to expectations because we still have a, a top 20 player in Mitchell, mm -hmm. uh, but we have the flexibility to make the subsequent seasons better. But I still kind of think that contender window was still probably only two years if, if, we, if we hadn't just absolutely sold Donovan on a relationship with Hardy, on bringing in, you know, guys he'd like that, that were really vaulting us into contention in a different way. Uh, I still think that that clock would have put just tons of pressure on the organization. No, I I totally agree. Your time period with with Don is two years because then at that point, if he's not going to extend, then you've got to look to trade him. Your time frame with with Bogdanovich and Conley is a similar time frame. So you did even though you've added some youth into the mix, you know those three players, you you have a limited runway with which to try to go out and win big and you know we, we differ a little bit on this but i i don't think they would have won as big as they wanted to oh yeah yeah you're yeah. probably right um you know i i think they probably make a, a playoff series yeah. but that could have still been through the avenue of playing yeah. as was your kind of scenario yeah. uh or or maybe you just get lucky with tiebreakers or or yeah. you know last second you win one game and suddenly you're sixth yeah, yeah. are you really sixth right. technically but, yeah you know that type of thing um Let's talk about scenario three. So this is kind of the inverse. You keep Rudy Gobert, you don't make that first big trade, and instead you make the Donovan trade. And so in this kind of a scenario, you have Conley, Clarkson, Bogdanovich, Laurie Markkinen from the Donovan trade, and Gobert as your starters. Then you have Sexton, Gay, question mark, question mark. Um, and so this one, as opposed to the Donovan one, you don't have a hole in the starting lineup. But you've got some depth concerns on the bench that uh, that you got to figure out, and those are likely minimum signings or or, or such. But uh, some other figures again, you have nine unprotected picks. Assuming the OKC one conveys, you are one protected pick lighter. Uh, you do have you do have some swaps, but you know we, we won't talk about those too much. Um, median age is still at 29. Uh, you've got guaranteed roster spots of eight for 23-24 season. And you're back up to 87% of the cap uh, by offloading Mitchell because you're bringing back, you know, those uh, those guaranteed contracts with Sexton extending, and then what we have in in Larry Markkinen. Uh -huh. So that's the that's the third scenario. Let's circle back offense and defense. What are you kind of thinking on this group? Boy, that's a I I I, I looked at defense first, and I started on the right hand side of the starters, and I thought. Your defense is pretty solid because I saw Gobert and even and even Markinen. He's been yeah. he's been a surprise defensively. Uh, mm. Just part of that's just the fact that he's a seven footer who takes up space and much of the time he's playing kind of the three. Um, yeah. But then I kept going to the left and I was like, well, tapers off there, but, doesn't it? <laughs> but but maybe in the Will Hardy world and the chaos and the if if he still felt like he could instill that, I think he could. I think I think the two things he's instilled on the defensive end, the chaos and the let's try to get some steals, let's try to get some deflections. Which you know, let's not make this a referendum on Quinn Snyder, but I never understood why you've got Rudy Gobert back there, why you played so conservative out yeah. on out on the perimeter. But um, I think, you know, maybe maybe I'm not seeing it, but 
but uh, maybe they could be close to as good defensively. I mean, I, I do think they could be pretty good because there's this Rudy Gobert guy and he wipes out a lot of mistakes. So, you know, the, the, the three starters aren't any worse. I mean, I don't think Clarkson is any worse a defender than Donovan Mitchell, at least the, yeah. at, at least the effort we saw last season. Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe I'm being a little hard on this group defensively. Maybe it could have been comparable to, to last season, perhaps. Yeah, this one, you know, so the Jazz, I think they were 10th or 11th per cleaning the glass defensively last year. And I think I probably would have expected them to be 7th to 10th ranked defensively here, Mm -hmm. primarily because if we're playing the way that's best optimized Rudy, he's he's at the rim um, and and he's able to affect so so many shots. But when we're facing opposing five-out lineups and Rudy gets pulled out, and we need some weak side help. We we have you know a, a very fleet-footed seven-footer you know who has shown some real propensity for uh, just disruption. You know yeah. he, the block totals you know are, or averages aren't blowing us away. Neither are the steal totals, but just everything in the aggregate just points to a lot more disruption mm-hmm. than we had seen in last year's roster behind Rudy. And so I think that does quite a bit. And with just that little jolt that Hardy's bringing of, Hey guys, you know, don't be afraid to, you know, to keep your hands up in passing lanes and to, you know, jump a passing lane. If, if you've got a good read on it, that type of thing, I think that inflates the defense a little bit um, on offense. I think you we play quite a bit similar to how we did, and in a regular season, I don't think you're number one, but but I think you're you know somewhere five to ten probably just you know with how prolific a shooters we got, and we do have people who can take off the dribble, uh, and, and we do have Rudy Gobert attacking uh, the rim and lobs, but as soon as you get to the playoffs, uh, we don't have a guy who is you know, that special athletically or that special of a shot maker to when things bog down, hey, I'm going to go get us a bucket or, or, or that sort of thing. So I think it's another recipe for regular season success yeah. that ultimately comes short come playoffs. Yeah, that's probably true because I think, you know, you've got Jordan Clarkson and, and Colin Sexton there who can do that in spots, let's say, but they're not the sort of guy, they're, they're not Donovan Mitchell. So they're not the yeah. guy in the playoff series where you're just going to get on his back and and uh, ride. Although, you know, give Clarkson credit, he was probably the best offensive player in, in last year's playoff series, but that's why that's part of the reason why it was a loss. Right, yeah. right, precisely, yeah. So the fun question with this group is pretty interesting. Um, where do you kind of go in terms of fun for this group? I don't know. I think you look at this team and it's you almost feel like you're I mean, you got Markinen in there, but other than that, your your starting lineup feels a little bit like running it back. Um so you're probably excited as a fan and 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 again, like I said earlier, you winning brings fun, but I I don't think this group feels as fun as as some of the other ones did that we talked about earlier. Sure. I think this one feels like it has a little more fun potential because yeah. as opposed to the Donovan scenario, or, or I guess where you made the Rudy trade and you've built around Donovan, that scenario too, as opposed to that one, we don't have like a real high usage player mm-hmm. offensively on, on this, in this scenario. Uh, you know, Markinen's only using 17 true shooting attempts per game. You know, in in what we actually know from this season, that would have been less in this kind of a scenario, uh, because Bogdanovich would have been, you know, using up quite a few possessions himself. Um, but I still think you get a lot more spread and, and diversity mm-hmm. than you do in scenario two. So I think you see a lot of good passing. I do think you see a lot of people involved. I think that would be pretty fun. Um, but. One of the fun, one of the most fun components of this season has been Laurie's ascension, and I don't think you get that to the extent we've seen. I think you're you're closer to Cleveland, Laurie Markkinen mm-hmm. than than what we have gotten, which has been a lot closer to Eurobasket, Laurie Markkinen. So you say that I, I I'm assuming here you're saying that because maybe with Bogdanovich in there, Laurie's not getting the ball quite as much, or or that's impacting his ability to 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 impact the game. It's possible. Um, 
Well, one other thing, one other reason I kind of say that too is a lot of the extra volume that Larry's been getting have been on those cuts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, setting the, those picks where, you know, you've got a really good passer right up above the key, you know, who's, you know, looking for handoffs with guards slinging around the perimeter. And then here comes Larry Markin in a short curl diving to diving to the rim and Olenek can make that pass. I don't know if we get that quite with Rudy. I, I don't know if he's no. as prolific hitting that pass, and I don't know if we have the, the spacing necessary to get in those looks. That, that was kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah, okay. That's, that's, that's fair. So what's the immediate ceiling of this group in a way? I think this group, I should be prepared for these questions by now because I've <laughs> been through them twice before. I think this group, I think, to me, has a slightly higher ceiling than the last group. I would think get playoffs, I would expect a certainty. And I think advancing into the second round, as long as you're getting what you hope to get out of, uh, particularly when I look at this group, look at getting it out of the bench, getting it out of Colin Sexton mm. and those three question marks next to him. And yes, I just called Rudy Gay a question mark because uh, <laughs> yes um yeah i mean so that's where this group does suffer a little bit is is what's coming off the bench um and so that's going to be the thing that could hold them back including in the playoffs but it'll become less important in the playoffs and so i think this is a group that could sneak in and get into the second round and then after that you know just roll the dice and see where you land um that's certainly better than i would have expected in the in the off season because i didn't know you know which Laurie Markin and we were we had acquired, but uh, but now because we're using benefit of hindsight, of the benefit of hindsight, which were your rules, um, and knowing what kind of a Laurie Markin we got, I think there would be some more upside to the playoffs this group versus the one we talked about before. Yeah, yeah, I, I would probably agree. Um, I I could see them getting to a second round. I think that's where it kind of bogs down yeah. for me because. Even if I kind of assume that Laurie is this player, um, I personally am bearish on him being like a, a number one option, yeah. like that all NBA level. I, I'm not quite there on him yet, particularly just because, you know, he he doesn't self-create enough and he doesn't have enough volume potential, you know, to use up enough possessions where, hey, nobody else has got it. You could just force feed him to death. Mm-hmm. And you know, throw any matchup at him, he'll he'll get attempts, and it's just whether he's making or missing. I don't quite feel that yet from Laurie, and I think that's probably what you need uh, to be really competitive in a second round series, where you're certainly playing a Phoenix or a, a Golden State type, yeah. um, who, who've got you know several players who could, any given night can do that for you, probably. Right. No, that's true. You'd probably need a good matchup to go to go. I'm probably getting a little too bullish, but you'd you'd need a good matchup to be able to go beyond the second round with, with this crew. So let's think about contender window because, you know, you have supplanted, you know, a young superstar Donovan with a young star in Larry Markinen. Um, and you got Sexton off the bench, uh, but you do have a lot of salary cap tied up. We do have some extra assets coming in from the Donovan trade in terms of picks. Um, contender window what are you thinking on this one probably similar to the last one i think we said i think we said a two-year window on the last one similar here depending on how you trade out of that window but for this immediate group Mm. you know how much longer is rudy going to maintain his level of defensive prowess how much longer is bogdanovich going to you know continue to play at his level mike conley that same that same problem has been in all four of these scenarios. You know, you, you can't count on that forever. Um, you do have a Colin Sexton as a backup plan there if that materializes to where he can really more truly play the point guard minutes. And then you've got Clarkson, who who probably has a couple or two or three or four maybe uh, good years left in him. But yeah, you're you're probably still looking at a two year window because at least two of these guys might be falling off by the end of that. And so unless you flip them for something better, you do have the extra picks though. So you've got that going for you, but um, 
you, you're probably having that two-year contender window anyway with this group. Yeah, with Rudy, it's so interesting because I I 100% got the sense that he was interested to stay around as long as we want him, wanted him. Yeah. And so, you know, if you do move off Mitchell and you kind of are retooling around Rudy in a way, um, it almost kind of feels like you have almost like a one to three year window where it could just be one year if all of a sudden, you know, Gobert just loses five to 10% off everything. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's it's a pretty steep decline. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then at that point, he's probably untradeable given the given the contract. And uh, and so it's really hard to pivot out of it. So that one's really interesting. Like it could have been slightly extended or just super, super shortened. And then you're probably stuck in, quote, purgatory for a while trying to figure it out. Yeah, I think and I think the Rudy problem to maybe that's not the best word, because, you know, I think jazz fans, the vast, vast, vast majority of us love Rudy. But the, mm, yes. the problem was those big numbers on the back years of his contract and the, the mystery of how long can he keep this up at this level? Because like you said, if he even loses five to 10 percent of what he does, that number goes up eight percent every year. So yeah. you're, you're really finding yourself in a negative every time, you know, when, whenever that happens. Yeah, as far as optimism for the future. You do have the the Donovan picks, as as you mentioned, um, but you know this, this contract for Rudy's kind of clouding things. Mm-hmm. How exactly how optimistic would you have been? The eighty seven percent of the cap is probably the biggest figure. There is that Rudy's still clogging up that cap sheet. As long as he's good, you're you're in good shape. But I think you know even the team must have realized that you know that was going to. Even if he's still good, he can only play one position. He can only play yeah. 32 minutes a night or, or 36 in the playoffs. So he's taken up such a huge portion of the cap, at least through this season and one more, and then maybe the cap goes up. But uh, just that percentage is gonna was going to get to be a problem because then you're just every year you're going shopping with your taxpayer mid-level exception, yeah. and you just can't do much shopping when that's all you have in your wallet. Yeah, yeah, that's you know a really apt metaphor, and I kind of feel like the Jazz would have been almost like arm armstrung into trying to execute execute another you know star trade, mm-hmm. just saying hey, we're locked into this window and it could go really well if Rudy's you know stays productive for you know these three years, or it could go really poorly if he's only productive for one year. I almost feel like they would have been kind of forced in a way to parlay a lot of those Donovan assets to try to get, you know, a, an aging star or someone who's disgruntled in a situation, you know, maybe your Jimmy Butler in a way. And then you're adding a second, oh, hey, hopefully this all goes right. Cross fingers. And if it's great, it's great. And, but it could just go terribly, terribly awry. So this is probably the one that had me least optimistic because it 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 gave me the feeling that uh that while we had some flexibility the flexibility was similar to kind of the lakers in a way every avenue was tempting us to mortgage it in a in a sense right right so let's move on to our final scenario which honestly is going to go pretty quick because it's it's the scenario we've played out for the last, you know, uh, three dozen games or so. Uh-huh. And it is the full blow up. It's uh, Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, Laurie Markkinen, Jared Vanderbilt, Kelly Olinick with Sexton, Beasley, THT, Gay, Kessler. And with this one, we've got 12 unprotected picks, assuming we convey one to OKC. We've mm-hmm. got two protected picks. You know, we've got several swaps, median age of 26. Uh, only seventeen or only seven, excuse me, guaranteed roster spots for the twenty three twenty four season, and only fifty eight percent of the cap guaranteed in that in that ceiling too. We don't have to talk about offense or defense or anything like that with this group because you know we we've seen exactly how it's played out. 
But uh, what what do you feel like is the immediate ceiling for for this group now that you've seen them for a little while? Probably the immediate ceiling, if I'm if I'm pretty bullish, is I I think getting into the playoffs and maybe pulling off a first round. But I would probably still guess it's an upset because I would mm. I'm going to guess they finish in the bottom half of the of the eight eight team playoff field. Um, but even if they're in the top half, I think that's that's a a high end for this team. Even though as we speak on November twenty second, we're talking about the top team in the Western Conference. Um, Obviously, I've raised my floor for this team quite a bit since the start of the season, but I haven't raised it to the point that I think they're going to be, you know, number one, number two, that type of a seed in the conference. I think eventually we're going to see, and we've already started to see a little bit, a little bit of slowdown in the wins, and uh, and and now with Mike Conley out for who knows how long exactly, uh, that that's it. Obviously, hurt them against the Clippers last night, so I think that that's probably where I would put them is is a first round possibility of a win but that's about it yeah i i'm right there with you uh, i think average scenario is you're competitive in in a first round series um you know you're you're it, going six seven games and things break right you, you win the series things you know break unfortunate you lose but it's competitive nonetheless i would agree there as far as a contender window for this squad i i don't know if if you're here but i wouldn't say the window is open yet no and that's why it feels like the window you know could begin at any moment you know depending on how the jazz use the the assets but then because you've got lowry at 25 years old kessler at 21 sexton at 23 and all reasonable reasonable contracts it could open and extend out for quite a long time. That's how I feel. Maybe I'm leading you on a little bit, um, but that, that's how I feel. No, I think uh, all through the offseason, or at least once they had traded Gobert and Mitchell, the the team's brain trust, Justin Zanuck and Danny Ainge, said our goal is to open the next window. They didn't say we have mm-hmm. opened the next window. So I think yeah, they're yeah. fully aligned with us, even though we've seen – some signs that they did a better job than maybe even they knew they did. I don't think if we got Justin Zanuck or Danny Ainge on the phone right now, if we, if we got them in on the third window in this podcast and said, is the window open? They'd probably laugh us off the, off the phone. They'd, they'd be like, no, of course it's not open. The, we will know the window opens when there's a big move, a you know, a big, and, and a big move with a star coming in. We, we obviously had two big moves in the off season, but they were going the other direction. So we'll yeah. know there's a big move when there's a big move of somebody coming in when the draft happens. And we, you know, I don't think Victor Wimbayama is in the cards at this point. But, uh, yeah. but you know, when there's some talent coming in in the draft that gives us real reason to be optimistic or, you know, I guess that's probably that's probably where most of it will be. The judges just really aren't a, aren't a free agent market. But will those two things are going to happen, and I mean, eventually those are going to happen, and we're going to realize they just threw the window open, and then we can talk about how long it will remain open. But until it opens, I don't know that answer. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. As far as optimism, you touched on it a little bit. I agree that this this window opens and extends, you know, depending on that talent and. You know, we have a ton of picks. We have an exceptional foundation given the amount of assets we have. Uh, one of the best combos in the league as far as, you know, the talent already on the roster and the amount of draft capital we have and flexibility, mm-hmm. like probably the best combo in the league, frankly. Uh, yet we're missing what makes a true contender a contender, that top 10 to 15 player that number one option we don't have one yet and as much equity as we have in the young guys in the roster and in all those picks it's kind of like equity in your house it's fake in a way you know it it, you know it can ebb and flow at any time and and once it's kind of parlayed into something you know it's really only that equity in a sense so that's that's the only kind of reservation i have as far as you know, saying how optimistic I am for the future is until we have that guy, it's hard to hard to say ex- exactly, you know, when and for how long we could actually 
you know, contend as, you know, Justin Zanuck and Danny Ainge and Ryan Smith said at the beginning of the the season that, hey, our ultimate goal is the championship. We've 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 been really good for a long time, but we don't want to just be really good. And so hitting that clock on really contending requires that number one guy and we don't have it yet. Maybe Markinen turns into it. That would be fantastic. Um, but until that happens, uh, you know, we're we're kind of we're kind of in wait and see mode. Yeah, I think it's more likely they uh, more likely he settles into a second, you know, second guy on a team that sort of thing. Um, as as great as he's been, I mean, it's it's no knock on him. Uh, but I think that I was as you were talking about those assets. The thought hit me that you know you can only spend them once, which is we've heard a lot out of Los, mm. out of the Lakers this this uh, off season and season. But that's not really true with the Jazz. The Lakers can only spend those two picks once because they only have two picks. Yeah. The Jazz could literally trade a twenty-seven and a twenty-nine twice because they have the Minnesota and the Cleveland twenty-seven and twenty-nine, and they have yeah. other options too. They could trade they could trade two twenty-threes, two twenty-twenty-three first-round picks today if they wanted. Yep. So they're just so set up to be able to wheel and deal when there's something they think is worth going and going and wheeling and dealing for. So now We've ran through all the scenarios. We've talked about the intricacies of you know what they look like in the immediate uh, present and what the prospects look like going forward. I want you to to really think back at the time when all this uncertainty, we knew a transition was about to happen. Um, what direction did you feel like was the best at the time, and why? And I'll and I'll pose my my answer afterwards. Okay, so before they did anything, what did I think they should do? Yeah, still operating under the assumptions of, you know, Hardy and the O'Neal okay. trade. But, okay. uh, you know, technically these four options are ahead of us. You know, if you kind of analyze your yourself, you know, back then, okay. which one would you have wanted at the time? No, I can, I can answer this pretty easily because I believe I did a podcast at the time and I said I gave my answer. So at the time, I thought the best solution forward for the jazz was to keep donovan and rudy Mm. and give it a try with will hardy i mean i probably thought this even before we knew who who whether it was going to be quinn snyder or will hardy and that said i thought they would have i thought the market would be a little kinder as far as swapping out some of the other pieces oh yeah and and when that didn't materialize I mean that in with hindsight that changes my answer but at the time I thought yeah let's what could we swap out a Conley could we swap out a Bogdanovich could we swap out an O'Neal which they did although not for a player and and what can we bring in to try one more look with with these two you know top 20 to 25 players and uh, but the market just I guess from from everything we understand just was not there to be able to deal Mike Conley with his two years left on his contract. And we kind of saw what they got out of Bogdanovich. Um, you know, wasn't, wasn't super exciting. And, and, you know, even though it, even though I had a good period for the first 10 games of the season with, with Kelly Olenek shooting 70 something percent from three, it's, it's still not that exciting. Yeah. I'm probably right there with you. If I really think back to what I, what I wanted, I, I think I, I really wanted to just try again because we had two top 25 players in hand, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, they, they weren't some potential or some future horizon, you know, they were our present and it either works or doesn't with those two. And since we had them, I, I felt like, you know, we had to just try again and hope to tinker around the margins. Um, and now in hindsight, Hardy is a much bigger tinker than I had anticipated. Yeah. And so, you know, that, that does give, get me pretty intrigued. Um, but you know, if, if we couldn't, you know, have that scenario, if, if we had to make a bigger transition, then, I do think uh, I wanted to, you know, go full blow up just because I was I was pretty bearish on Donovan returning the the players that we needed to surround Rudy, and I was bearish on Rudy returning the amount of picks we would need. 
that ultimately proved not to be true, <laughs> but yeah. uh, that's what I thought. I'm like, there's no way we're going to get the amount of draft capital we would need um, to really extend this thing out and, and tailor the perfect roster to Donovan. Um, didn't turn out that way, but that's what I thought at the time. Right. Now, with perfect hindsight, after we ran through this whole thing, um, did the Jazz choose the right direction from your estimation? I mean, when I look at the numbers on the graphic as you've laid them out, you, sure, you certainly have to feel pretty optimistic about what they've done. They've knocked yeah. three years off the median age. They've added a total of seven picks, protected or unprotected, just disregarding that for a minute. Um, they've really given themselves an opportunity to go out and grab the next guy that's available that, that if they're interested. I mean, the very next guy that's available – I saw there was a discussion going around it about Kyrie Irving. Should the Jazz go after him? I'm not sure the Jazz would be terribly interested in Kyrie Irving at this point. But, you know, if they wanted him, I'll bet there's a deal there that works because the, the Jazz have the right kind of contracts. They have the right kind of picks. I, I just don't know if that's where they want to spend them. Yeah, I think the Jazz made the right the right decision as well. I mean, we've seen Donovan really explode yeah. in Cleveland, but if you look at the numbers adjusted for role, he's played a lot more point guard than he did with the Jazz. So that's inflated some things to a certain extent. And he's played five more minutes per mm -hmm. game than he did with the Jazz. So if you were really adjust for all those things, he's about the same player, a little more efficient. Uh -huh. um, Rudy, I, I think I, I haven't watched enough to see if he's – you know, regressed that 5% that we were worried about. Um, but, but just looking at impact on the team and some of his, you know, traditional numbers, it appears that may have happened. Um, and I, and I do 100% believe that, that the clock was on for Donovan. I, I don't, I don't care what people say. I, I think, I think he was planning a transition in his career, which he has, you know, the utmost right to do. Right. And I think it behooves behooved the Jazz to kind of get ahead of that, and and not be strapped or or kind of cornered into you know something that uh, that was going to put you behind the eight ball, going into your next next transition. So I think the Jazz uh, played their cards right. Ultimately, um, I I am intrigued by some of these scenarios and what they would have looked like, but but yeah. ultimately. I think they probably chose the right direction. Well, write it down for today, and then in six months you can have another, <laughs> have another podcast and see if you changed your mind. Well, Ken, any last thoughts on, on the jazz? I mean, we've, we've talked really kind of 30,000-foot view, and uh, you know we've talked about the future and the past, but one of the lessons I've kind of learned from – just how much turmoil the franchise has been over the last six months is let's just enjoy the moment. Let's just enjoy, you know, what we have and uh, what have been kind of the joys you've found with this season. Well, you mentioned one of them, which was, you know, where did this Laurie Markkinen come from? And I mean, you can draw a line from his Eurobasket performance to this, but the whole time I was watching Eurobasket and knowing he was a member of the jazz I, I didn't expect that that Laurie Markkinen was going to translate back to the NBA. And, and really, he mostly has. So that's been exciting. It's been, uh, it's been really interesting. And this, I would never have predicted I would say this, but it's been interesting to get to see a different side and maybe a little more effective version of Talon Horton Tucker. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I thought, I, I, I didn't value Patrick Beverly super highly, and I still questioned that trade. And yeah. well, I should say this. I didn't value a 34 year old Patrick Beverly very highly. And then I still questioned that trade. But you get a 21 year old um, who the first time that he came in and and he was effectively the the third string point guard. I tweeted kind of like, who ca whose idea is this? What kind of idiot are you? <laughs> and uh, not, uh, not not saying that directly to Will Hardy, but I was just thinking, what what's going on here? And he has not been a perfect point guard, but. He's been, for a third-string point guard, he's been effective, and that's been a surprise to me. So those are a couple of the kind of small stories on a player level that have kind of jumped out. Malik Beasley has also been 
you know, because the, the few things I knew about him besides the fact that he could shoot, um, you know, he had the legal troubles and, and, uh, and, and, and that, and I think he's been a breath of fresh air and, uh, we'll see if he ever gets to fulfill his goal of being an all-star on and off the court as Craig Bowler Jack reminds us every single game. <laughs> oh, Bowler. Yeah. Uh, any comments you have on, on Will Hardy? Uh, a lot was made of, you know, towards the end of last season. Oh, hey, should the Jazz move on from Quinn? Is it time? Ultimately, he felt like it was time for him, mm-hmm. uh, even though, you know, we've heard from Danny Ainge and Ryan Smith that they really wanted him to come back. Um, and then the Jazz took a chance on youngest coach in the league, um, but but somebody who had – you know, had risen from video coordinator to being one of pop stars and then moved on to the Boston Celtics and immediately went to the finals. Right. And so, and, and then we've kind of seen what he's actually done with the group. Uh, you know, what, what are your thoughts on, on Will Hardy? And, and you know, uh, how, how do you feel about this kind of transition as, you know, one of, in franchise history, one of the few coaching moves we've ever done? Yeah. Um, He's been, uh, you know, again, much, much better than expected. And I didn't expect that he wasn't going to be good, but I, he was a blank slate. And so you look at that and think, you know, I'm sure he's good because to some extent people are saying he's got a good basketball mind and, and he's been around the right sorts of people and he was a part of a Boston team that went to the finals. But yeah, I think uh, the reviews on him, from what I understand internally in the team, And uh, just today there was a tweet and I can't begin to tell you who tweeted it, but just talking about how he's doing things on the court or, you know, having the team do things on the court that nobody has done before. And I probably couldn't even begin to tell you schematically what they're talking about. But but uh, yeah, he seems to be right there. I just just uh, in fact, it's funny that he and Joe Missoula, the two assistant coaches for Boston last year, they have their teams have the top records in each of the two conferences. It's less of a far cry for Boston because they were a finals team last year, but (laughs) they're, uh, yeah, they're, I mean, he's also been a great story to the season. Probably should have listed him ahead of Malik Beasley and some of those other guys. Well, Ken, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate you joining the podcast. Uh, do you have any exciting things that you want to promote, you know, related to your work at Salt City Hoops um, or just, you know, some exciting travel plans that you have coming <laughs> up? You're a big travel bug and, and you document all, all of that for us on Twitter. Wow. Well, I hate to disappoint, but I'm a pretty infrequent writer on Salt City Hoops and I don't have anything in the pipeline. I, we, I occasionally podcast with my brother. We haven't even... Um, talked about a podcast recently. Yep, and, I'm still waiting for one. And believe it or not, I have no travel plans booked at this point. So I really need to get on the stick because that was the worst answer to a question I've ever heard. And I feel like I've, <laughs> I feel like I've really let you down. Well, let, well, let's see if we can bring you back on, you know, uh, towards the start of next year, February, March, and see if those answers may have shifted. Well, thanks again, Ken, so much. Please give him a follow. You'll be able to see his uh, Twitter handle on the screen if you're on YouTube or in the description below if you're on the podcast. Please give Ken a follow. Thanks so much, man. Thank you for having me.